Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a podcast for creators of the comedy variety. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. I was dancing during the music and I got out of breath. I really need to get back to the gym. Thank you for listening. If you're on iTunes or on SoundCloud, please leave a review and subscribe. You can also go to thereitispod.com. Check us out there. You can read up on some blogs. A lot of things I'm just talking about there. I do not have all the answers. Uh, There are plenty of answers to have when it comes to comedy performance, whether it's stand-up or improv, and I can supply very few of them. And that's why I do this podcast. I talk to people who are much wiser than I am, And uh, and I get info from them about how to do this. Today is a great episode for that. I have Rick Andrews, instructor and performer from the Magnet Theater. He's a great improviser, and he's been doing it since 1999. I don't know how he's been doing it that long, because he looks 25. I I guess he started at 8 years old. He is a wealth of knowledge. We get into a lot of discussion about performing improv, about instructing people in improv, and then different styles and different approaches to improv. And it's a great talk. You should definitely stick around for the whole thing. I know it's a long one, but it's worth it. Why don't we just get right to it? Here's my chat with Rick Andrews. It was really great seeing you up in uh, New York the other day. Thanks for chatting with us. Thanks for coming to the show. Yeah, it was a great time. We had a really, uh, we had a really fun time uh, at everything that we saw. But we were really stoked to be able to go see Magnet at the theater because we hadn't been before. I uh, we have an adorable little theater. I love it. It is a great theater, man. I, I really like the stage there. It's a it's a really good space that you'll have. It's it's small, but it also like so if it's like packed and packed, you can fit maybe seventy five, eighty. Which is like a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, but it's also like it's like a flex stage, right? So you can, if if it's not full, it doesn't feel like empty, you know? It's, right. Something's got those like big stadium riser kind of things. If it if it feels like oh wow, you know, that's kind of what we have. Right yeah, okay. if we have twenty people in our theater, then it it's like oh thank, this is this is a good gonna be a good show, <laughs> right? And that's really like I think playing at different stages, something you realize like, Oh, that at least improvising it. That's what really matters. It's like, I mean, I've had really fun shows in rooms of, yeah, like 15 people, but the room feels like packed. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, doing it in front of 15 people in a room that should sit 200 is like, just like, you know, yeah. the isn't quite reactive. Right. That is kind of rough at times. Uh, yeah. And I also, I remember hearing something about, uh, I think it was Dana Carvey talking about late night with David Letterman and also the same studio that Conan used in Rockefeller, that it was a small space and that uh, Dana Carvey called it, uh, or he said something about it. It was like a, uh, was 
Maybe he said it was something like dynamite, like it packs in really, so it yeah. just holds all the energy because it's so it's such a small space. So it's it's uh, I think a good thing to have a a space like that. Yeah, that's why I remember. Um, I saw a taping of like Colbert's old when you know Colbert Report, and mm-hmm. and compared to like the other sound stages I've been on, like Daily Show and other things like that, it was like much smaller. Oh, wow. in, and uh, you could kind of feel it. It was weird when I went and saw. It's changed. They changed out the layout a little bit, but with John Stewart, like he was super far away, and that was it seemed like part of the challenge was like because I don't know they were like moving the cameras in. They had this really wide gap for the the cameras, and it was like it did it did feel like kind of, oh man, he's like doing comedy like sixty feet away from you. It's like kind of it's definitely hard. I think. Yeah, we got to see Colbert uh, at Late Show, and yeah. I was expecting, I've seen that theater so much on television, I was expecting it to be a little larger. Yeah. And it's still, like, it seats 450 people, but it was, it it felt more intimate than I expected yeah. it to be. So that was a good thing. Yeah, definitely. And I think, especially with improv, that um, the audience is, like, what they're they're really paying close attention to the improvisers' faces. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's the big thing to me. It's less about being able to hear people and more like, um, I don't know. People talk about the difference between like acting for a camera and acting like for a stage. You know, mm-hmm. it's like if you're in a play and there's you know like a two hundred seat theater that like everything's like played a little bigger, but that if you were to like act like that in front of, like in for a camera, it looks like crazy, right? Because yeah, you know the camera reads every little thing, and yeah. I. I I think improv is really more like a camera because in a play people are like, they're looking at your face, but they're also like there's costumes and there's a set and there's like a visual component. But I think in improv, the audience is kind of naturally trying to kind of read all that off of your face, off of your face, right? Just stare at you. Like they go from face to face and I, and it makes people very invested in the characters, but it also makes them more like if they're far away, they feel like they can't get that connection and it doesn't, it doesn't read as much. I think, I I see that as a performer, does it kind of throw you off? I don't know how much like theater you've done where maybe they want you to be a little bit more theatrical and play to the back of the room. And of course you still have to do that in improv, but it does seem like a nice balance with improv. I have no theater experience at all. Um, But I've done improv sets in like big rooms. Like Lewis and I have done like on the road, like we've done Cornfield and Andrews in like a big, space uh and it, it depends on the, like the layout of things that may, but you know like a, a space where like it's like probably too big for that show and it is it's like you have kind of two choices you have to like change how you're playing which like depending on what your show is you know like like for our show like we're trying to be very grounded and patient and so we you know, it's probably too much of a change to go out and be like, whack a back to like, you know, do some huge broad <laughs> thing because that's going to shoot us in the foot in terms of the rest of the show, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you kind of have to just, sometimes you're like, well, the back of the room isn't going to maybe be super into this. Um, but I think there's definitely like a certain amount of like, you know, you're improvising, you, you I've definitely been to shows where like, all right, we'll do in like a montage or a herald or something and it's a huge room and the the sound isn't quite great, so you gotta kinda make bold choices to start mm-hmm. to draw people's energy in. But I do think there's two with this weirdly like 
the amount of change you make is uh, runs a very fine line to me because it's so easy to swing too far the other way where you're now you're playing for the audience, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and the audience like weirdly like knows that and they like hate it. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I, I've set uh, at a festival a couple years ago. It was in a kind of a weird space where like it was very echoey and the sound kind of dissipated. It was like it was like the main stage. It was like really wide, huge area, and they had like floor mics, but it, they weren't really working that well. And the first group really tried to like go big, and it they just didn't have a great set. They were like a younger team, it seemed like, and you know that thing where like the show was getting away from them, and they tried to bring it back with even bigger, crazier choices. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah. It just like you know we've all done that show where it kind of got out of. All right, this went to crazy town, and the audience kind of checked out. And then uh, Rich Talrico and Craig Kukowski were up after them, mm-hmm. and their suggestion was like road trip. And they just like pulled the chairs out, they sat down, you know, and they were like just sat there and were in a car. And you know, you could kind of feel the audience be like, "Why don't these guys care that we don't love this yet?" And like it like made them lean into the show. And by the end, they had everybody really engaged, you know? And I always remember that because it's like my first impulse is often to like kind of go bigger to try to draw people in. But I think sometimes that you don't really give them anything to draw into, right? I think I've had that kind of experience with stand-up where, oh, this is a bigger space. I need to be bigger. And it didn't help. And I think it's a matter of, well, if that's not normally how I play, then it's not coming off natural. Yes, and there's a big disconnect when you're not being natural. Yeah, it's like you can't. You, you might make small. That's it's like yeah, it's like a fine line. You make you make small changes, but you don't want to alter the way that you do your thing because then, you know, it's there's less to. You're engaging more people, but there's less to be engaged by. Right. Right. Um, so it's like yeah, finding ways to like draw people in. And I think about this a lot. You know, New York is like a really big indie improv scene. And, you know, there's only a couple theaters and it's hard to get stage time. And I think a lot of times that people end up, you know, it's really easy to end up on like three or four indie teams and you're doing like a couple shows a week, but they're all like in a bar where no one's watching, you know, and the only people there are the other improvisers. And I think if you're still like afraid of being on stage, that's really valuable stage time. But once you're kind of over the fear of, of it just being up on stage, it does kind of develop potentially crappy habits to a certain extent because like you're always playing to try to get people to pay attention to you which is really different than like playing where people are there like rather do one show a month where people are like oh we're here to watch you you know what i mean and i totally know what you mean i think that's something else that i've experienced with stand-up where the home base for me when i'm doing stand-up i'm really used to the way those nights go and so if I go outside of that, then I can either be too laid back or right. I can be giving too much. And I feel like, and I know I'm not a stand-up, but I, I feel like I hear stand-ups talk about, or I watch clips of stand-up speaking interviews, they talk about, I think there's a certain amount of like, well, that's on you, the stand-up, like that's a skill you have to develop, right? Is you have to like know how to work any kind of crowd, which mm-hmm. I guess like on one sense it makes sense, but I don't know, like we don't apply that logic to any other kind of performance right i mean like if you're like a 
doing a Shakespearean play, no one's like, yeah, man, but what if you're doing it, you know, in the middle of the street and people don't want to watch you? It's like, well, then I won't do the play there because, like, I think part of it is, like, it's okay to be like, well, this isn't a good performance energy that, like, what I want to do, I don't know, like, uh, you know, I think with stand-up, you're just going to have different kinds of rooms, even where people are, like, agreeing to be there, but... And even so, when it comes to performance style... Right. I'm not seeing a lot of changes between the like the type of place, places that they go. They might just do the material uh, that they think would work for those people, but not right. necessarily like they're all staying. They're all performing the same. It's just the material might be what changes the most. Yeah, and and I again I don't know because I don't understand it. But I, I've always found I, I've had improvisers sometimes kind of think about that or talk about it. And I've always found that to be like, not, not helpful as an improviser because now you're like trying to react to the scene, but you're also trying to filter it through the like, what would this crowd like? Yeah. I you think can't do that at improv. Do it. Anything that like takes you out of the scene that's making you think about what's going on. I think lessens your ability to really be present and makes whatever's going on instantly less funny. Yeah. Uh, the most you can do is like turn up and down your energy. I think you have to be true to what the art form calls for. Yeah. Regardless of the art form, whether it's uh, you know doing Shakespeare or improv or stand up, you have to perform that the way it's supposed to be performed, right. regardless of what kind of crowd you're in front of. So every now and then, when we talk about like like someone in my level one class will ask, we talk about like suggestions, like how to use the word, you know, and it's like. Yeah, I try to be really like, uh, I think it's really helpful for students, especially to, to, to realize like, oh, I don't have to use the word literally because otherwise they get stuck in this mode where like they're kind of just trying to find ways to use the suggestion rather than just doing the scene, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the suggestion is pie and it's like, look, I baked you a pie. <laughs> mm, this is a tasty pie. You know, it's like, that's not a scene. Like that's like a game show, right? Right. Um. And I think some of people's worry, like why people end up doing that is because, well, what if someone's watching? Like if pie makes me think of my aunt and then I'm just like kind of an older lady, like we're going to play cards or we're going out to the pool. And I like don't say the word pie, but like some of the audience is going to be like, this is all BS. <laughs> They're just doing I whatever they want. They use it, you know, and it's like in my mind, I'm like that there are people like that who like will watch an improv show and go. I just didn't get why Pi made them think of that. I, I think that's a really low bar to shoot for, to clear. Mm-hmm. That like, you know, as like a performance, it's like, well, if that's literally your only hang up that like this 30 minute long piece of performance, you like didn't get how like Pi, <laughs> like, did you watch the rest of the show? Or were you just thinking about fucking Pi the whole time? <laughs> right like isn't that kind of stupid it's like i think so i mean it's kind of like the movie american pie is called american pie and it centers around this guy literally screwing a pie but it is about so much more than that and it's supposed to be more americana than anything so it's not that the movie was about a pie it was about americana and the rite of passage and growing up in america and part of it's just like viewer literacy in terms of just like well, if you, if you don't, haven't seen any improv, I think it, it's easy to have this because improv was kind of like that at first, right? It was like no one really improvised, and so and it was kind of like a pick a card, any card thing of like, mm-hmm. you know, to prove to you that we're doing this. And I think 
I, I at least find it nice as a performer to feel like over that to a certain extent that I'm not trying to prove to the audience that I'm improvising because I am improvising. So it's right. like, you know, and I think to a certain extent, like if people don't believe that you're making it up, there's not really much you can do to like, like if they're really set on that idea for some strange reason, you know, um, I always tell people just, just go take a class and then, you know, you'll see. Cause it's like, and, and also it's like, why would we make all, like, why would we write a new, I think we're going to write a new hour long thing every week. It's a, it's a lot of work a lot and of work. memorize it. Are you yeah. crazy? Sometimes it just comes from the host letting everybody know if it's a show that has a host, letting everybody know what yeah. the structure of the show is. Like with a, a Herald night, you can say, we're going to take a suggestion and you're going to see where that suggestion takes right. these people. And they're going to, you know, like get away from pie or whatever. But yeah. You'll see only pie in that very first, op- like be- right right at the beginning in the opening. Just kind of explaining the audience, like that's what happens. This is what it is. I think we right. have to do that a lot here in South Carolina than you have to in New York. Yeah. Because there hasn't been in the upstate where I'm right. at that a lot of improv. There was another group that was here for a long time that was doing short form. And I think with short form, you can like show people the suggestion a little easier than on a herald night right like in a short form game it's like it's kind of this machine and you just feed in the scene to the machine thing right right and so it's like it's a little easier to incorporate that stuff in a way that isn't distracting Mm -hmm. you already have the short form game set up um but if i'm like going out of my way to say pi 10 times i'm like not really listening to you (laughs) exactly Yeah. And it is, I guess I say like, it is like, it's less of, it's not like an intelligence thing. It's just like a literacy thing of like, you know, if you don't, I remember this, like, just like reading like poetry in like an English class. And the first time you do, you're like, you know, the teacher has to be like, here's how you like read a poem. You know what I mean? Like, here's like your expectations from it. Here's like how they work. I'm like doing a lot of crosswords, uh, just in the last couple of weeks, um, with my girlfriend and like, Mm -hmm. she's been doing them for her whole life. And like, there's a certain amount of like, Oh well, when a crossword says this, here's here's what it kind of means or could mean. Mm-hmm. There's certain like kinds of ways that it like might give a clue, and I I think like it just takes people watching it more to kind of get that exactly. And yeah, and I, I like it. it's like the host. I like that idea. Like the host kind of sets the expectation. I think it, you know we always just try to say okay, we're going to improvise, and and like at least for us in New York, kind of the stages that we're playing, that like that's you know in in our mind like enough. You know, like okay, well, mm-hmm. this is we're gonna make this up. Uh, you know, if you don't believe us, sorry. <laughs> I do like the TJ and Dave. Like, just trust us. This is made up. And, this is all made up. We're just gonna do this. <laughs> but if they were like not super successful, like if they were like playing in, you know, a a basement in like, you know, Raleigh, <laughs> like. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, they might have to, like, explain more, I guess. Right. But being in Chicago and New York where they're performing. Yeah. They don't have to do that as much. Or it's like, they they wouldn't even need to say that anymore. Do you know what I mean? Right. They say that they say it because it's, like, a tradition, I think. Mm-hmm. I think everyone going to see the show, you you know, for the most part, you have an understanding of, like, this is these are two guys, and they're going to improvise. They're just going to start the show. Right. Um, it helped a lot to have that when I showed it to, like... 
my family showed the DVD. Yeah. My family was like, yeah, this, this is just made up. This is right. Um, you mentioned radio lab where they, uh, they broke down like the beginning of their scene. I really like that. You know what I'm talking about? It was like a radio, they rock on radio lab. I didn't see that. Uh, someone like plays, they play the clip. It's just all audio. They play the clip at like the beginning of their show. And they like, just ask the two of them to talk through like what they were thinking. And it's a really good, like, um, uh, it's, it's, I think it's probably baffling if you're not an improviser to listen to, but Mm -hmm. it's like, Oh, you know, they, they just started, you know, and anybody can do scenes like this. It's not like a thing that they've specially learned how to do. It's like, they just start looking at each other or they're standing some way. And then they just like notice like how, okay, how is he standing? How am I standing? What's the tension here? Oh, we seem kind of relaxed. Maybe we're old friends. Someone says like, uh, right. And then, you know, it's like, they like break down like how it, just all those small things like made them get to whatever was going on. You know, they talk about it in their book and I've come to think that though it may be the most challenging way to start, a, a, a scene or a show I feel like it's the best way to start an improv show just because you are yeah. automatically starting off just looking at each other and picking up on everything that's happening and it's so easy to not do that right if you're it's, coming in with an idea and it's like well I need to be over here cooking because I want to play a line cook at Waffle House then I'm not looking at my partner necessarily and yeah. I'm not seeing what they're doing I haven't really found it that I mean, it, I, I, I feel like even just a little bit of practice, like even even beginning improvisers can, can pick that up because it's just about pointing out what kinds of things to pay attention to mm-hmm. because people, everybody already knows how to pay attention to those things because we do it as humans. Like right. I'm picking up on your body language, you know, and, and, and I'm like interpreting it. That's just the thing that we're doing as people all the time. And mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, you can make like big assumptions based on those things. I do like find this. This is why, like Lewis and I have, start, have been getting like a location. It's because we do try. We do really try to start the show in that that really present place mm-hmm. where we're paying attention to each other. But that if we do just not, if we do just kind of stare at each other, um, I find typically we end up in similar kinds of situations, mm. like staring at someone. Uh, it, it's easy to end up with a more of a tense situation than otherwise. Mm. And it's also like you're never like in a place like you're always just kind of hanging around like you're never oh, yeah. never like in a car right or you're never fishing so it's it's cool to be able that's why I like like initiating it's like I think initiating is actually really hard to do it really really well yeah to like communicate information but also not completely destroy our sense that this is actually really happening right because mm-hmm. like the way we normally initiate it's so and in a two minute herald scene that's totally fine no one's like oh, this is kind of make-believe, but someone's like, well, I'm your doctor, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, the doctor wouldn't say that, you know? Right. <laughs> the doctor would just be in the middle of talking. Mm-hmm. He'd be like, yeah, more grains, I think. Uh, that could be good. You know, good, the good kind of cholesterol, uh, proteins. <laughs> like, he'd be, he'd be saying some doctory thing, right? Right, exactly. Uh, but that's that's really challenging. I think that takes, like, many, many years to actually get. Right, and that's the thing. That's I think the younger somebody is in the skill the harder it is it seems to even understand what really picking up on everything is like it just seems like they're automatically trying to make a joke out of it as opposed to truly picking up on what's the dynamic here i i find for me understanding heat and weight seems to be a challenging thing for people if they're in their first couple years of improv 
Yeah, well, I think it's like it's really about you got to really get people out of that joke mode. Like I really don't not that I'm mean about it, but I really uh, it's interesting watching people's work after just a couple classes where you really made it clear that like being funny is not important. Mm-hmm. Like I, I try to laugh like a lot, you know, as I teach and not like a fake way, but mm-hmm. you just kind of open up and you let yourself be very giving. And it, and it, 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 it does take some of the pressure off uh, as you're learning because you're not like, you're, you're kind of like, I think it's easy as a teacher to kind of go into this like really reserved mode. I think teachers are like performers too. It's like, they're very nervous, especially mm-hmm. when you start teaching and in your mind, you're kind of like, I've somehow scammed the world into letting me, you know, like <laughs> the first couple of times, you know, first couple of years teaching, you're kind of like, do people know that like I shouldn't be doing this? Like you just, you feel like an imposter, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I think teachers have a similar, they're different, but they have, it's just kind of like the same fear responses we do as we improvise. Like this is where like when, when a teacher is mean to students, there's like n- literally no excuse for that. The only excuse no. for that is you're, you're a bad teacher. And I think sometimes people like to take that on as this like guru kind of thing where they withhold support and they withhold their laughter and their kind of, cause then they feel like, well, then I, it, it's just a way to exert immediate status over the room. Mm-hmm. And I think the ultimate reason people do that is they're afraid that if they don't do that, they won't have any status over people. They don't trust their actual knowledge and skill base. Maybe it hurts that Del Close was brilliant, but he was yeah. like the first guy to come along and be that kind of guru who's being super mean. Yeah. And so was, yeah. people coming later have uh, said, oh, well, he was mean, so I could be mean. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't. I didn't know Dell, so I like can't really. I'm like, I'm like one step removed from him. <laughs> but like, I don't know. Part of me, I, I, so I, I, I've never met this guy at all. So the, you know, take this a great assault. But like, part of me wonders, like, if he was a teacher now, I mean, he, he might just be a really bad teacher. Like, I don't know that we would really put up. And by a lot of accounts, too, he was like pretty misogynistic, pretty kind of like a racist dude to some extent. Um, or certainly, like I've heard stories of comments that like would not fly, not fly today at all. Or you'd be like, "Fuck this guy," you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, and I've had teachers like, you know, I I really hate it when the teacher is the star of the workshop. I think that is really, um, and I think there's a way to teach where you're making people think, "Oh yes, like I'm I'm, I'm really learning," but like what you're really doing is you're showing off as a teacher. Like if you talk like the whole fucking workshop that's bad teaching mm-hmm. when people give like improv lectures it really like kind of upsets me it's like the reason people do bad improv is not because they don't know how to do good improv you can give them the right information in two seconds you know what i mean oh just i'm not i'm long-winded so i end up talking more than even i want to <laughs> oh yeah and i'm guilty of that too but i think there's 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 definitely people out there who you get up and you, you take a three-hour workshop and you get up and you do two minutes of a scene oh you know? right yeah and it's like, I'm not sure that's great. I think that ultimately that teacher is now the star of the workshop. And you can walk mm-hmm. out of that workshop feeling like you've had this experience. But I don't know that it really helps your improv get any better. Right. If anything, a lot of times it really clutters your brain with a lot of other information now that you're trying to apply. And it's easy to do that when you're just kind of going. I mean, I, I, I realize this a lot sometimes when I'm teaching in another city. It's like I try to balance like practical with like some like new ideas of like, well, here's some things that maybe are not the way that you're taught here mm-hmm. that are helpful new ideas. But if it's too much of that, I feel like I've kind of left 
hoisting people to a certain extent where it's like, I don't know, you got to like actually do it. You got to be up there and doing it because otherwise it's not really that. Because like, I don't know, like it's easy to leave and be like, well, I taught them and they're better now. But it's like you don't actually I think teaching like eight week classes is is, is very humbling as a teacher because like you can get up and give this great speech about all these brilliant ways to think about it. Mm-hmm. And you feel really great about it. You're like, oh, that was such a good way to put it. And then they do it, scenes and they're just horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I am responsible for their work. So like <laughs> what I just said, as smart as it was, was not helpful. Like you, yeah. you, you have to like, what be next? Yeah. And that's one of the things I think I struggle with. Uh, like right now, the team I'm coaching, it's a Herald team. I'm trying to get everybody on the same page of understanding and it ends up being way too talky for me, but right. I don't know how else to get them on the same page. Obviously, them doing improv, but I don't know. It's just like, I don't want to talk this much, but I don't know how else to do it. That's something I really learned. So when you, um, now I train up, like if we, we have a new instructor, I, I'm like co-teaching with them, but it used to be Armando mm-hmm. um, for, you know, for the first many, many, many years. So he would, and, and the magnet's really, uh, I think, pretty unique in this respect, we don't have a curriculum, so we have like a series. We have like a, a um, like a uh, we have like shared values basically, and and each level has like um, goals as part of those shared values of like what that level is there to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So like in level one, my goals are to I'm gonna do the Armando form. That's like the structure for the, for the show, uh, and in, you know get people to be able to consistently find their way to a good scene, mm-hmm. right? and introduce them to the basic kind of core concepts of improv or basic improv tools. So we do little modules on like character, emotion, environment, you know, to get people kind of fluent in the vocabulary of things. Right. Mm -hmm. But that, but how I get there is like totally up to me. There's not a list of exercises that I have to run. And when Armando like would train people, he would basically go like, okay, here's how I teach this level. You can keep whatever you want. You can get rid of whatever you want. Your, these are your goals. What, whatever is the best way for you to get there works for you. And at, at first I was kind of like, oh, that's really cool. And that makes like a ton of sense. And it, I'm learning more and more that like that's very rare that a lot of places, you know, it's like someone sits down and they design a curriculum as if the exercises are like what is helping people. And I think that's true. But I think like as you're teaching, I mean, you probably know this, right, from coaching. It's like you can run an exercise that – someone else runs that works gangbusters and then you run it and it just like doesn't work for you. That's happened to me a couple of times. Yeah. Or vice versa. Like you've got a game that you, that you run that works really well that like other people don't. I mean, there are exercises that like I watched Armando run and I was like, Oh, what a great thing. And then like, I run it and I'm like, I'm screwing this up. Like I don't, <laughs> I didn't know what I was. I don't know how, where my, it went wrong. Yeah. Or then, and there's tons of games that I run that I'm sure like are, are wouldn't be Armando's style, but they work really well for me. It was crazy watching Armando teach. Because he is, I think he has like this kind of guru name a little bit. Like people have heard of his, partially just because the form end up getting named after him. And you know what I mean? It's like a, kind of like a funny coincidence of all the things that he's done. That's like not like he didn't like create that whole thing, you know, like Mm -hmm. he was on the show that, that they worked on it all together. He just was telling the monologues originally. Right. So the Mm -hmm. show kind of got joke named after him, (laughs) you know, because he's like a, a pretty down to earth dude. And so they, they like the amount of the theatrical experience and who, like, they kind of really, you know, <laughs> but he's also, he's developed like a ton of forms. I think a lot of the teams he put together at UCB, you know, I think that's where like his real reputation comes from. It's like 
forming a lot of those early teams, basically running the curriculum over there. I mean, he's just a master teacher, but I think people sometimes expect the guru thing, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But what he does is like he says as little as he needs to to get you to do that next thing. And that's where he's kind of a genius is like he knows what that next thing is. He doesn't have to dance around it. It's just like, oh, do this. And then like it unlocks it for you. And I think uh, that's the challenge as a teacher and a coach is like how can I – I'm less trying to like give you the information. I mean there's a certain amount of that, especially as like a level one teacher. I'm like I have to give you some information. But a lot of it is like what things can I do to help unlock this for you? The thing as a coach, it's like, yeah, sometimes it's like letting people kind of play a little bit. Like weirdly, if like if like the coach this maybe this could be a really weird metaphor, but <laughs> when you're like on a team and like it's like we're mostly talking about how things aren't going well or what we're supposed to be doing, it's like kind of like being in like a long distance relationship, you know, where it's like we're like talking, but all we talk about is like how much we like miss each other, and uh, and you, you never actually like you're never actually like doing anything together, right? right? And that's the thing that's like really hard about those relationships is like you're not actually building any like memories, right? You're not like doing any experiences. It's like you you're like kind of living in a moment of a feeling. Right. So sometimes I feel like if I'm coaching a team that's having that problem, yeah, my impulse is to talk about it, and especially like the more you coach and teach, the more your ability to understand what's happening grows. Mm-hmm. And so the temptation is there to be like, oh, let me just explain all the things that are going on. But that what ends up being more helpful is like, all right, let's do something that's going to be fun and that like creates fun together. Because I think on a team, especially people have to learn each other's language of fun. They got to kind of learn how to have fun with each other. Exactly, yeah. We're doing something together. Because that, that is what it is. It's totally. You're having fun together. You're doing something that is fun together, and you're figuring out how you all work together and creating that fun thing. And I think the fun is the big part of it to me. Improv, this is where like I differ like in a big way from like UCB's like main thing. It's just like, if you read their book, it, the book has this kind of like, you already fucked up tone to it. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, uh, well, you didn't write a sketch. Uh, you should have written a sketch. But <laughs> luckily, we have all these rules to make it make sure that the scene is still funny. Do you know what I mean? It mm-hmm. like almost looks at like the fact that we're improvising as like a handicap on on what we're doing. So it's like to make up for that handicap. Here's all the ways that we can be certain that the scene's going to be funny, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, the fact that we're improvising is the best thing about improv. I mean, that's why you watch improv. Watch people. When they're watching improv shows, like you laugh way harder than you do watching a movie, or <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you lose your mind. I think yeah. you watch a really good improv show, and it's because it's improvised. You are discovering right. it with the performers. There is like a magic to that thing. Yeah, that is the funnest thing about creativity yeah. in general is the discovery when it's new and it's fresh and right. it's, you figured something out. I, I have an analogy with that when you're thinking of any band, any musical band. Their early stuff, when they were still mm-hmm. trying to figure stuff out, that, for a lot of people, is their best time period. And once right. they figured out their thing, and then they get into the groove of like, oh, here's what I do, and then they just start doing that, then it can still be good, and you can still like it, but that early stuff, when they were just figuring right. stuff out, that was the most exciting. Well, it's because, also, they, they band stop surprising themselves, right? That's what you're mm-hmm. saying, right? It's like they start... Yeah. And I think it's 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 possible, but it's 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 rare. Like the groups that really, like I'm thinking of groups that I like that that have released like better and better albums. It's it's because they keep like pushing what they do and and challenging that. 
mm-hmm. and like that forces like some kind of new thing. And I, I do think it's like improv is it's play. Mm-hmm. It's not performance. Like I don't think it's an accident. It may have been an accident that, that, that we called them teams, you know, mm-hmm. rather than ensembles at first or coaches rather than directors. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's an accident that that terminology stuck around because I, it, improv doesn't much feel there was like this thing a couple years ago where people were really talking about uh, this like stand up uh, who's also the same guy who just got in the Amy Schumer hot water. What's that guy's name? Oh, uh, Kurt Metzger. Oh, yeah. Don't get me started. <laughs> um, so he was he like went on he was talking about like not getting paid to do a stand up show at UCB. And, mm-hmm. and there was like some really good points to it because it was like, well, when you're stand up, like your material is your is your thing. So like if you've played a room, you can't really do the same material you know, the same thing over and over again. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's just like, trying to like, it's kind of consciously blew up about like, Oh, it, all these improvisers are doing these shows, they're performing and they're not getting paid. And there are like concerns to that that are really valid. And I, I think there's definitely like a socioeconomic component to that, that is really important of like, right. well, who, who can afford to like just hang around and do free shows, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but on just a very personal level, like I, it was interesting noticing my first reaction so like a lot of those articles, but it was just like, I don't, I don't feel like I'm performing. Does that make sense? Like, I uh, think so. I, I am. And, and yeah, it's, it, I use that not as like a, Oh, well we shouldn't get paid kind of thing. But that like, just on a basic level, like I, when I'm doing an improv show, it doesn't much feel like I'm performing. Mm-hmm. Like I don't really feel like I'm like giving the audience anything. Right. It feels you're getting like you're something, a big thing out of it. Yeah. It feels like you're hanging out mm-hmm. with your friends and a bunch of people happen to just be there watching you do And people that. call it playing for a reason. Yeah, you are playing. It's like being a kid. Right. And running around and making up the rules as you go. And I think that to me, the most to me, the most essential component of improv is that. It's not being funny. I think it's easy to miss the force for the trees of like, improv is funny because it is spontaneous, mm-hmm. not the other way around. You go into improv worrying about how you're going to be funny I think it's so easy to lose the spontaneity. I mean, I, in New York, it's, I'm sure it's different in other cities where the, you know, the kind of the, the, the main energy is different, but mm-hmm. the game thing is so heavy in the water here. And it's not that that's like wrong in a description of how a scene works, mm-hmm. but I don't know that it's a helpful, like a description of how something works is, doesn't necessarily mean that's the recipe for how to make it. Do you know what I mean? I see what you mean. Yeah. Like I mean, they're definitely describing how a cake tastes doesn't, Tell me exactly how to make the cake, right? I mean, potentially. Oh, and I think yeah. there's something like, I've, I've definitely been that improviser and I, I can see it instantly where it's like, someone's in a scene, they, often at times it's like, they start off, oh, they're really reacting and then something happens that's unusual and they stop improvising. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, that's the game. And they start thinking about it. What's the funny thing? And it's like, this scene just got so boring to watch because now you're thinking, you're not actually improvising. And the audience can tell. We can tell when someone's not really in the moment. Well, you another be- guest of mine was saying, you know, people say that at UCB, they'll say they're not in their head. But when you see them standing up there and they've got their head down and their finger on their lip, like really thinking <laughs> hard. Yeah. Like you're very much in your head. Yeah. They're best people. I mean, improv is improv. You go watch mm-hmm. their best people. They're not thinking. They're, they're just playing. Like, I've uh, seen some I, people who were good who were thinking, but it. I guess it's just like the difference of school of thought because right. um, I, though I want to learn how to do that, I think I'm probably more of a different school of thought. I probably am more of a school of thought like you have, but yeah. I understand that UCB has a clear curriculum in a, in a very 
particular skill that they are trying to right. teach and instill in people. So that's what where the rules come from, and that's where I can understand it. But at the same time, some people are not going to be able to think about it that way. And I mean, I, there's some people who are like, yeah. oh, this is the only way to think about it for me. And I get that. But I think there's a certain amount of like, I, I, I think that that's, that's probably true to a certain extent. I agree with that. I do think that there's also like, well, I think it's not just I, I think that people do learn better by like not thinking. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's something I see in the classroom that like every now and then I get to. You know, I'll randomly coach some like three hundred one UCB three hundred one practice group, mm-hmm. and I I love coaching those groups. They're the easiest coaching gigs ever because everyone is just been taught like, what's the game? Think about it, think about it, and all you have to do is just be like, oh hey, just uh, don't think for a little bit, and the teamwork gets like fifty percent better because <laughs> it's like you you have to trust your instincts. Like your instincts will come, you know what I mean? But like I think the more you're practicing thinking, that's what you're learning how to do is to think in the scene and analyze what's going on. And I, it's fun. I feel like people in that kind of context often, sometimes it's just that clicks for them and that's how their brain works. But mm-hmm. I think often people end up getting really good when they just get so fucking sick of hating their improv and they just go, fuck it. I'm just going to do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. And then all the game stuff is kind of in the back of their head anyways. And now they're just reacting to the scene. I mean, I think mm-hmm. like sometimes I wonder like, can't we just get there a lot quicker by like, encouraging people to just be there in the moment and like letting that shape come a little bit. Cause that's, that's, that's how I see people develop. And, and certainly I'm in the, a different context, but it's like, it's so easy to get stuck in your head. And I think like mm-hmm. what happens is like, that's you, you get there and then you kind of stay there. If, if like you're analyzing it, I think to a certain extent it's like, well, we can be familiar with that shape, but we don't have to be like in every single scene. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think, so we we saw Harold Knight at UCB, and I definitely saw one of the teams, that, I saw them thinking on the sidelines, right. but when they were in scenes, and this was true for all three of the teams that performed that night, when they were in the scenes, I didn't see them thinking, I saw them just yeah, being in great. the moment and, re- and reacting, and, and I'm not like trying to defend them against what you're saying, <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I, I see, I was kind of amazed at how present they could still be and i'm not good at switching from thinking to being present then back to thinking on the sidelines but that's yeah i mean i, I guess i'm thinking of thinking in the middle of the scene right right like, oh, it's like, terrible in the middle of the scene for sure right but that's the i think I, that's something i encounter a lot with that training is hmm. is and, and i think that's something they explicitly ask people to do right is analyze the scene while you're doing it to figure out what is unusual versus i think like personally i get a lot of mileage from like on, on, on game, like I think the, the sexy part is the unusual thing mm-hmm. and the heightening. And I think it's so easy to focus on that stuff. And it gets very analytical and mathematical of like, well, was that like the right way to heighten it? Honestly, I found like challenging people to just be as real as possible. Mm-hmm. It's playing games so much easier for people right. because it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. Like if you're just really focused on like on being as tr- as real and truthful as possible, when things are kind of unusual, they they you don't have to like think too hard about it. I'm like, was that like, weird? That's the thing. Yeah. When somebody misses a really weird thing, because there was something that happened in a scene last night, and I'm not trying to crap on anybody, but I just yeah. saw a scene and uh, uh, somebody said something real peculiar, and it right. ended up kind of getting swept under the rug. And I thought, well, no, that's the thing, guys. <laughs> like, right. I wasn't trying to. I don't. I definitely don't want to encourage being over analytical in the scene 
because I think that does get you too much in your head to be able to be present. Yeah. But whenever I've seen good comedy, regardless of where they trained or if they trained at any improv theater, right. everybody is trying to do the same thing. They are making a scene. They're creating something that's that ends up being funny, and they're honing in on the clear thing to hone in on. Regard, like I could watch an old episode of Andy Griffith's show and Barney Fife. I mean, th- that's the weird of the scene, you know, like right. they are playing the game of the scene, but they're not being so analytical about it. It's just what's yeah. obvious. I guess in my mind, like you have like there's this kind of aesthetic to that, you know, like there's a difference between scenes. There's always things that are particular, but I, I, I find like the TJ and are a great example where they don't really play a game. I mean, they'll have games in the show. There might be things that are unusual that kind of come back, but they're not the main driver of all the comedy. It's not, it, it's not like everything centers around focusing on that one thing. It's kind of like, Oh, the main driver of the comedy is like the way they're relating to each other. Exactly. Often what's, make, often what's making you laugh is how real it is mm-hmm. versus I think like in a, in a, in a, in a Herald, you know, we've got, two minutes to develop the scene and we are kind of focusing on like, well, what is the thing that's really driving it? Mm-hmm. Um, I try to get them to focus on the main idea in right. Herald because it is a two minute scene and you don't have the luxury of doing Let's all around. this stuff yeah. and adding all these things. It's kind of like, well, what's happened and what does that mean? And play into but, that. And yeah, I think that's that thing of like, I, I've definitely found like the more you are really encouraging people to be real Mm-hmm. And this is kind of like why Magnus training goes. Like, we don't really talk about game. I, I do I talk about it a little bit in level three. You're like teaching people it as you're going, but you're not really codifying it because that, that word is meaningless. Like I've, I've almost found that the definition of it doesn't at a, until a certain point where people have like done it enough that doesn't really help them to know what it is. Like you start explaining to them this thing that they don't really get at first mm-hmm. and they, they, don't, they can't really do yet. And they don't like, it's hard to teach people game when they, when they can't improvise. Like right. if I can't just be present in the scene and not be freaked out, adding this like conceptual thing to what I'm doing is way too much. Mm-hmm. Keeping things normal is such an important part of that because not only if the details don't sound normal, but if the scene doesn't feel real, then my weird, crazy thing doesn't actually matter. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if we're co if I'm saying we're coworkers and like our boss is uh, like going to replace all of us with like chimpanzees from the zoo. <laughs> But if, if we don't actually feel like coworkers, then like that weird thing doesn't matter at all. Like That's you can true. heighten that a million times, right? But if we feel like two people staring at each other nervously improvising a scene, you, you get so much less mileage than like we're actually around a water cooler. Like, did you hear? <laughs> you know? And, and that's like watch Key and Peel. That's what's so good about Key and Peel is they they make every sketch really really feel. And that's like a, a lot of it. I'm, I guess I'm I suspect it's probably Ian Roberts who's the showrunner on that show. It's like. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a deep understanding of a game. It's like you like that. Like, um, I really love that Jazzercise sketch. You know what I'm talking about? I don't think I've like, seen that one. Like, oh, it's so great. So the, they're like, it's like a, they're filming like a Jazzercise video, and like a guy's getting like really bad news via the cue cards, but he's like got to keep up the Jazzercise show. <laughs> but they like gave it. They like there's like VHS tape error, and like all the costumes in the set are like pitch perfect. Mm. It makes it way funnier because you actually believe it. I think when you're improvising, it's like you have to learn how to connect to your environment, how to express an emotion, how to use character. Like I think these are all the things that make a scene feel like a real scene. And I yeah. think if you can't, if you're not adept with those tools yet, 
trying to then think about what's funny, you don't have any way to, you don't have any technique to express those things, right? Mm-hmm. If I can't play chords, like I can't really put a song together yet. Like I got to learn the technique first before I can kind of like express myself in a certain way. Right, you can't solo. Yeah, it's like trying to explain someone how to solo before they understand all the frets. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's much better. <laughs> what I said didn't make sense, but that makes sense <laughs> in a guitar, right? Um, or, or it's like, you know, people can get it intellectually, but I'm not sure they're able to, to enact it as much and as effectively right. versus I, I think like people have a more, and maybe just my personal bias in this stuff, but or, or how I learned well, Better, you need glue. You need, I, I, yeah. You need glue to make the scenes work, and that glue is going to come in the relationship dynamic and the type of characters and how they are as people, and seeing their point of view and seeing how it relates to the world around them and the world they've created. Right. And I think, like to me, part of it's just, and maybe this is again, maybe this is an aesthetic difference from from UCB, but um, I would rather watch a scene that is a good scene where the people are really, they're really present to each other. And I don't mean a scene that's like not working. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're missing stuff. It's just a good scene. We're, we're, we're really listening. We're very present. Nothing's getting missed, but maybe it's not like the funniest scene in the world. Maybe it's just a, a real moment. And that, that then a scene where people are saying funny sounding things, but not actually listening to each other and not actually being present in the, in the scene. And um, I, I think most audiences would also prefer that first version mm-hmm. i think yeah. the perfect world is is where we're doing both right right um, so i think as a teacher i kind of lean in on well let's let's be real with each other first let's really be present and 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 really learn to improvise and be be in the moment first and then we, we can give it that extra little shape versus like coming in you know nine weeks into doing improv and being like here is what comedy is and you should be doing this in every scene yeah. you got to figure out what this thing is like I, I think that's that might click for some people but i think that if you if you truly are doing if you're in like level two for real like you've never this is your second time doing improv you know <laughs> I, I can't i don't get how that doesn't send you into just wild panic <laughs> right because <laughs> yeah. you're still like learning how to be up there and it's really yeah. acting is really hard it's really hard to be present it is uh, it is right? really tough it's and it's tough to to learn if you haven't been there are a lot of people doing improv now who have not been doing anything on stage yeah so acting is not something that they have been thinking about for a long time (laughs) it's something that is completely brand new to them and it is hard to act out a scene I, i i love seeing it when people start figuring out like oh having a clear emotion as i go into a scene like uh, that works really well. That helps me. It's like, yes, yes, I'm glad you're realizing this. I've been so into lately, like, the the environment, because it's like, and I, it's something that, like, I overlooked for a long time, because it, it doesn't directly produce comedy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if someone, like, creates a slot machine, we're not like, oh, man, slot machines are hilarious, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like, I think it, like, does so many things for the scene that, like, are just, like, you can't replace it if you don't have it. Like, if we're not really engaging with our space, like, mentally, it just, the scene doesn't look real. Like, you can tell when two people are up there and they are not imagining that they are anywhere. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, they are mm-hmm. just too, they're just talking. And they're floating somewhere in their mind. Right. You know? It does. And, it just isn't grounded. Yeah, like, that. that doesn't. And the audience can't make a picture in their mind right. about what's going on. So everything, both in the eyes of the improvisers and the eyes of the audience, this is an improv scene. 
Mm-hmm. And I think what the bar there is like, well, okay, be funny. Like it's like it, it, the whole thing is like we're trying to find our way to jokes. But like just just me like pulling, you know, I'm at a casino. It's like the audience can make a picture in their minds and everything has context now, mm-hmm. you know, that behavior that might not stick out if we're just standing around talking might really stick out. What is your headspace when you're starting a scene? And is it different from doing your duo versus when you're starting a scene in a Herald? I think with Lewis and I, where we really try to take our time, uh, I'm in a similar kind of headspace. Uh, I just really get to, we have the time to like really let that stuff come and not force it at all. Mm -hmm. I try to, um, with Lewis and I, uh, you know, we get a location, and then I, I form a clear image in my mind of who we are, mm-hmm. and I, I, I feel a certain way. And I, rather than trying to communicate that to Lewis in any way, I just assume he already knows that. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, in the show you saw on Sunday, we were on a date, right? Yeah, so, it ended up being a double date. Yeah, so I sat down, I felt, I, I felt like I was on a date, I felt nervous, now, we, it might not have ended up being a date, right? Like if, if some detail came up that made it like a work thing, mm-hmm. then my nervousness just gets reframed. But, right. but um, still, you're still nervous, though. I just assume, I assume Lewis knows all that. And then half the time he does. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because he's fucking genius. He is so... Uh, um, he was... I was amazed at how present he was uh, from the first words out of his mouth. Yeah. And so I think he's doing the same thing. So he's, he's forming a quick picture of how he's, he's feeling and that makes him feel something about what's going on, but then he also makes those assumptions. So then as little details start to come out, we get to really maintain it. We try to maintain as much of the reality as possible. So if we give a lot of exposition, it feels a little bullshitty and we kind of disbelieve it a little more. So it might take a while to figure out what's going on, mm-hmm. but eventually we center in on, okay, this is a really clear picture of what's happening. And sometimes it happens really fast where we both are on the exact same page. Sometimes it takes a little bit. In a Herald, you don't have time for any of that. You know? Right. It's, it's not about like, oh, you got to let the improv come to you. I form a really good picture of what's going on. And then I, I, too, I, I try to communicate that to my scene part. If I'm the one initiating, mm-hmm. you know, like if I'm at a casino, I'm not going to be coy about that. I'm going to try to find a way to, in a, in a way that is subtle, uh, get, get that my scene partner on the same page for me, mm-hmm. just so that we can be in the same space together. I often think about starting a scene, even with a premise, that like if I have a game premise, I'm I'm setting up a picture, but I don't really know what the scene's going to be about. A, a premise is different than a game to me. Mm-hmm. Like premise is what's going on, but the game is like more like about how we're behaving with each other, right? Right. Like, it's um, like a, a a person's particular pattern of behavior. Yeah. So like, let's take the like dumb example I gave earlier, like uh, the boss who who's going to re- replace everybody with monkeys. Chimpanzees. Yeah. Yeah. That's a premise. But we don't know how those employees are reacting to it. And so we don't really know what the scene is until we see them. Hey, did you hear it? You know, the boss, he's, he's going to replace us with, with chimps from the zoo. You know, the other person might be like, ooh, fun. <laughs> is everybody getting replaced? Or like, will some people stay on to play with the monkeys? Like, and that's now the scene. It's like, it's our relationship of like, I can't believe you're not upset by this. You know, that's a very different scene than like, that's outrageous, you know? Mm-hmm. So in my mind, I try to think about what's the picture of this one moment and I communicate that, but then what's going to happen, I try to not think about it all because mm-hmm. anything I anchor myself to is, is, is unhelpful. But I still, I really try to form a picture in my mind. I always try to think about where it, am I and who is this person to me? Because then I can like, even if different things happen, I have a way to interpret my behavior. Like if I felt like we were on a date, but then we were um, actually at a work presentation 
mm-hmm. I know that my character is kind of treating this work presentation like a date in a certain extent. Right. Like I'm nervous. I'm nervous about what you're going to think of me. You know. Mm-hmm. Just you gotta hold on to that stuff. Yeah, I think some people ha- will have a tendency to either drop all of that stuff or not mm-hmm. come in with anything, or maybe even just not notice that right. that stuff is going on, and so they don't have anything to use or to utilize. I think eventually, like I mean, you can never be doing nothing, quote unquote, right? True. Because like even just me standing there, quote unquote, neutrally is some kind of energy. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, coming in with something is helpful. Uh, oftentimes, especially if I'm joining a scene, I'm, I'm just paying really close attention to that person so that I can get a sense of what they think is going on. But then I also try to just notice, like, how am I standing and moving and how do I feel? Mm-hmm. And I try to just, whatever I walk to the stage with, I try to just walk into that. That's what I try to do. I, yeah. I happen to be neutral at the beginning of a scene once where someone else was, like, really, really doing a ton of stuff. And I was like, yeah. well, I'm neutral, so I must not. Right. have the same opinion that this person has. Like, I may not care as much. If, if right. I'm just standing here while they're frantically moving around, I don't want to do the thing they're doing. And I got, right. I didn't get yelled at, but I was told that that was wrong. It's like, well, I don't know how, if I come in with certain things and I'm just trying to use what I have here, right. what I've done, I didn't know how else to switch it. I think to me, it depends on how... Um, how much how much time you spent being neutral while it was like if someone steps out and no one's joined them yet and they establish that energy then like purposely joining detached from it can can be but not a problem. choice but if you step out at the same time and you've already established to the audience you're kind of standing there kind of boredly mm-hmm. and the other person's like oh my god you know it's like you don't want to be like oops sorry audience me standing like this was a big mistake i got to change it up you know that's exactly uh, how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what happened is we came out at the same time and they started doing something and I it was it got to be too late for me to start doing it too. Yeah. Because I had been standing there for just so long. Right. Uh, so it was kinda like, Okay, well, uh, I'm gonna be this this guy who's <laughs> just yeah. standing there watching this other person do all the work. Yeah, being detached is always hard. It is. You end up it's hard to um like I often am just challenging people like just like choose to like the other person. Yeah. Because like people like um the way we have like fights in improv scenes, like that's a kind of thing that like um I think people don't realize how and this is what I mean, it's like what's unusual is totally dependent on how how real we're playing things. Like when people have conflicts in improv scenes, it is really unusual. Like if you really think about it. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm like, Man, you always leave the dishes out. That's that's weird. Like <laughs> People don't talk to other people like that. No, they don't. People, people go so far out of their way to avoid overt conflict with other people. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. But every improviser is walking around like, I hate the way you drive. And it's like, you would never, never you would be that. mortified, right? Right. Uh, so it's like a lot of it, I think, is like, I don't know, at least at first, like choosing. And sometimes you're just trapped in that thing, right? You're like, oh, I already made this choice. But it's like just choosing to like the other person or just like choosing, even if I'm bored to like be bored in a way that like brings us together, you know? Yeah. Or it's like, it's like, and, you got yeah. it, man. And you that was the mistake I made in my scene was that I didn't, I <laughs> later when I thought about it, I was trying to bring, take the note, but then also keep my philosophy right. of, well, there, it was too late for me to start doing what they were doing. But I didn't choose that I hated the person, but I was just too ambivalent. So if I could be less ambivalent, so then play. it helps. Yeah, it's super hard to play ambivalent. And so it is that thing of how are we connecting? Let me just like this person because 
I think people do the wrong kind of arguing early on in improv, yeah. like you were talking about. They're, they're saying things no one would actually ever say, and then it just becomes about that when it right. would be so much better if it was, okay, I like this person, but we're having a disagreement about something. Yeah, I felt really good about, like, in our show on Sunday, like, Lucina tried to very much, like, not, uh, something that gets tempting in our show is to, like, oh, we kind of see where the story's going, and then to, like, have a big moment. Mm-hmm. that they always feel a little unearned in terms of like, well, would that really happen? Like I felt, I felt like, um, like there's like the couple had like a fight at the end, but mm-hmm. I, I ended up kind of like feeling good about it in terms of, I think that's how like a real couple would have that fight that like, it wouldn't be a huge blow up, but it also wouldn't like solve everything. Right. Like I remember <laughs> we did the show like a long time ago where like I fucked it up. There was like this girl and she, um, she was like a, we saw that she was like a bully to this kid in class mm-hmm. and then the rest of the show was like her with her dad and her dad had like a health scare and they they had like kind of a really sweet moment and then at the end of the show we kind of cut back to the, the kid that she had bullied and I kind of ended up playing it like oh like now I'm like nice to you which is like a nice sounding story but after the show I kind of felt like I think that that is like how I wish the world was and not how things actually are because <laughs> I think in the real world it's like you cut back and she's just like beat it loser she's like, still just into this you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah people don't really learn it takes years for something that i mean actual epiphanies and, and wild changes in behavior are, are really rare people get stuck in the same shit over and over yeah see i i, I try to think about that sometimes as i'm improvising especially in a more patient setting of like how would this really go down in a two-minute scene you, you you have a little more freedom to like you're, you're playing more with ideas and i think you're grounding the ideas in real characters but if the character isn't real the character's not going to be exposed as unreal, like in a, in a Herald, right? Right. But in a show where you're maybe playing the same character for an hour, if your character is like a bullshit 2D idea, like if your character is a stand-in for a premise, mm-hmm. that gets exposed real fast. You get five minutes into that show and you're like, please, God, end the show now. I, right. I, I, I This cowboy who uh, loves to play violin it, it has nothing else going on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, uh. how did you two develop your duo like like the form for it and how you approach shows i mean i think like we we're both admirers of like tj and dave i think a lot of what we do is is in that kind of wheelhouse of the style of improv um and they don't it's kind of form and structure lists so it's like right um i think part of it is like uh, we just try to improvise in a way that gives us a lot of space. Yeah, it's more then, about the principles then. I think so, yeah. It's like we try to let the show be whatever the show is. We try to start from a place of being really grounded and being really present with each other. And whatever happens that night, we kind of just try to give over to it. Some of them end up being really silly if it just kind of goes that way, you know, where we're like things kind of – there's been a couple that have gotten really, really silly – and also still felt kind of fun and felt like they weren't like us bailing on the reality of the show. Mm-hmm. Cause sometimes that's just what you discover in those first couple moments is like, Oh, we don't care too much about these characters. It's more about this world that's here. And we're going to kind of go wide and really explore this, this, this thing that we've kind of stumbled, this wormhole we stumbled into. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just find two people you really like, you know, like I really liked both of those when I say liked, I don't mean like, oh, we did a good job. Like, like I mean, I mean, like as a performer, I like liked the people. Uh huh. 
which I think is important for us. Like in the show you saw on Sunday, like, yeah, I, I kind of liked, I liked all the characters. Like I, I, I saw their humanity. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I both like felt what was fun about them, but also what was like really human about them. Like I, you, you kind of, and it's not something you're thinking about while you're in the show, but thinking back, it's like, yeah, I, I did feel for all those people that like, I felt like a part of them ha- was like a real person and, mm-hmm. and that, that things they were doing. But sometimes you step into a character, you're like, I don't believe, like you just don't feel that that's real, you know? Um, and so I think like when, when we, uh, Craig Kikowski sometimes talks about this idea. I'm sure, I don't know if he created it, but it's like, I, like going deep versus wide. That's like something he said to me once. Mm-hmm. I think it'll work out. Of like, well, in a show, you can really go deep on something, or you can go like really wide on it. And uh, sometimes we're trying to feel that out, maybe of like, well, this is a show where we're going to go wide versus like, okay, well, why would we abandon these people? They're really mm. interesting. We don't need anything else. It's, it can be just these these couple people. Yeah. That was such a fun show. Uh, one of the things I Thanks. was talking about for the previous episode in regards to that show was how grounded it was and how just it felt like every day. But then it added this robot thing that was so, totally <laughs> yeah. surreal and, and not normal. <laughs> yeah. And that's I think that's like a good example of like we, what like we try to like, like I think at first like um, doing like more patient stuff like we would have like. I would have had this impulse to be like, that's too crazy Mm -hmm. versus like, well, we really didn't force that into the show. Right. Like there was just this really weird accident where like Lewis said the thing he said etiquette. And then I had this, and in my mind, when I had that reaction, it was like, um, like in my head, I was like, Oh, the bathroom attendant has like been instructed to not interact with the customers. Right. So it was like, Oh, I, I was like kind of turning off from the interaction, but then the way he had interpreted it. And then like, just the thing of like, well, every time it got repeated that like the person, like it, it just kind of got there over time to like, Oh, now these are actually robots. <laughs> I think, you know, a year ago when maybe we were still feeling out what the show was for us, we probably would have, um, or at least I would have felt part of me would have felt like, no, 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 these are real, you know, versus like, well, or like the stuff with like Lewis, like the, the waiter thing that got so crazy and yeah. funny, and silly of like Lewis, I could have listened to Lewis describe like me- meals that was at so that restaurant great. for so long. But that's the thing of like, it's like, I think being grounded is not about forcing, like if you forcing things to be kind of serious, quote unquote, Mm-hmm. You make the same mistake of forcing them to be funny. I right? agree. I totally agree. Because I've yeah. seen people think that when someone will give the note of, hey, let's do some grounded scene work. And right. they're just saying, like, you guys were going to crazy town for the sake of going to crazy town. And it wasn't it didn't feel yeah. like you were present in any environment or any world. So just be grounded, which is what that means. But what people will instead do is just get real sad. Like, well, yes, that's not and that's grounded. Not fun either. <laughs> it, it's, it's also not believable. I. I Often when I run scenes in class, I try to get people to do that. I, I found this, like, um, I'll just give them the context. Because I think initiating is really challenging. Mm-hmm. So I'll say, you guys are on a road trip. You're in a car. And then I say, it's not about making the scene serious. Or I just say, like, try to let the scene feel realistic. Right. So, like, if if something happens, that's fine. If nothing happens, that's totally great. It doesn't have to be funny. If it is funny, that's totally fine also. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes when people go, like, oh, we're going to do, like, real scenes it does flip the switch for people. Yeah, they then try to be melodramatic. Yeah, and it's and that's so also terrible. Not real. <laughs> it but just, I think it's like 
when you when someone's being grounded, you can really see you can really see the the scene really comes alive, and it it might still be very silly, but it's like a sense of it's it's how you're treating each thing that comes up. Right. You know, that's where grounded. And also it's the same when somebody says, let's be organic and they just act really weird and abstract. Right. It's like, that's not organic. That's not what organic means. Organic. It's, it's, it's like, it's, yeah, they're thinking about the aesthetic rather than the process to get them there. Right. Right. It's like, oh, I'm going to like behave like this. It's like, no, being, being grounded is about how you're listening to the other person. Mm hmm. It's anything being organic. It's about us building this together rather than forcing it. Exactly. It's it's yeah. about organic. You just think about it in food. Organic means it's natural, right. and if it's not organic, it just means it's unnatural and it's right. like a processed sort of thing. And you just you're avoiding the process. You're avoiding putting all these sort of artificial things in there, or finding yeah. it in an artificial way. I wish more people understood that distinction. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, it's kind of like you. I feel like it's like in New York, like the the there's so much UCB influence that like the like the scenes you see that are like people kind of forcing it or like gamey scenes. But it's funny, like traveling to Chicago sometimes, and you watch like younger improvisers, like with like TJ and Dave and this and, and models like that in the city, they're a little more have a little more influence. Like you know, someone's like making a sandwich, and they're just like, "I, I made you a sandwich," you know. And the other person's like, "Well, thank you." And it's like, what is this? Like this is what there's like this unexplained tension that like. <laughs> that no one is dealing with at all. That, that's not how people behave either. That's no. like a play, you know? So yeah, I think it's, it's about like what would really real starting from like what would real like not, not what would really happen, but like given what has already happened, how would a person really respond? Right. So you always probably start in a much more realistic place than you end up in. And so that's what we try to do in the show. If it goes crazy, we let it go crazy. And we, and we we're not there to put the brake on it because we think the show should be different. Quote unquote. Mm hmm. But we try to not force it to that place. You know, if it ends up being kind of serious or sad, we try to let that happen too. Right. But inevitably, it's always funny. If if the show is, if we do a good job, that the show is still funny, even if it is sad. Right. Um, there might be a sad moment, but that the show having heart doesn't take away from its comedy. Most of the time, on it, if, if we're doing a decent job improvising, that it probably helps the comedy. I think mm -hmm. that you like care about the characters. The toughest shows for us are when we find we were after the show, you're kind of like, yeah, I didn't really care about those people. Yeah. But that that's usually means the show wasn't fun. Okay. And that's care, very interesting. And care doesn't mean like, <gasps> like, oh, I really run him to get over this divorce. Like, it's not like something big is happening. You know? It's just that there's heart, enough heart to it for you to connect to. Like if in the show that you saw the waiter was like the main character of that show and we learned nothing else about that person right okay. like we don't care about the waiter but we care about the four people at the table mm -hmm. eventually hopefully uh i care about them improvising them you know that's cool i like that yeah well i say we've reached the end here cool we need to figure out something that we can create together what would what would we create if we we're going to create something what would you like oh to create do you want to do a scene <laughs> Sure. We've been talking about scenes the we whole have time. Been, yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do a scene. Cool. And we can get a suggestion, and then we can use the suggestion in a very, in a very <laughs> non-literal way. Be really open to. And yeah, I'll just explain. Let's see if I have the chops to play with you, but <laughs> just for people listening, that we're going to improvise, and what that means is we're going to just take the word, and we might not say the word. It's just whatever <laughs> it makes us think of. <laughs> what kind of suggestion should we get? 
Well, Anything. A word? Okay. Haunted. Yeah, they, How about we haunted? Let the scene feel real. We can do what we were just talking about, ideally. Okay. And the but word is... Be bad at it and just really undercut everything we just talked about. I know. Yeah, it was our first time really improvising. <laughs> yeah. Right. The word is haunted. Pretty, it's pretty creepy. This is a, a real weird house. Yeah, I like thought I wasn't gonna be scared, and I'm a little, I'm a little, I'm a little scared. I'm not like freaking out, but yeah, I just these colonial houses, they just yeah, the aesthetic is so different. It's just yeah, the, the creaking, you know, and the doors are so small. The doorways yeah. are so like, why is everything so small and tiny? People were just really tiny. I think that's it, right? People were just really tiny. We were just much better nu- nutritionalized. Really? Is that? I, I heard George know. Washington was six feet tall, though. Was he just a giant? Maybe that was he was just really tall because he could not fit through this doorway. Did you? No. What was that? Hear that? What was that? Oh, I didn't hear that. Would did you hear he, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm. That talking was about. the thing you heard. Yeah, yeah. Like if the floor creaks when I step on it, that makes sense. But I, why is but this when the why is it creaking when no one's stepping? Pooping. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. It's one thing for it to creak, but then there's also a. It's it sounds like a little soft shoe. Yeah. <sighs> I don't like this. I don't like this at all. Uh. I feel like if we leave, I don't want to leave. Uh, I like want to be a brave person, and but we're on a tour, and they said not to separate right. from the group. Right. They're in the other room there, but should we just get back with the group? Maybe they were the ones walking, okay. but it was clearly it's not behind, in the space. It's behind us, and they're ahead of us. Do you believe in ghosts? I'm one of those people that if like I'm. I'm willing to believe in ghosts. I just need a ghost occurrence. Yeah. See, I'm not, I'm not willing to believe in ghosts. And that's part of what's really upsetting right now is. Like, I mean, if there I'd was, still be afraid. Yeah. yeah I'd still be afraid if, if I saw a ghost. A ghost. I'd not, yeah. I have to. I'm just willing to accept that there are ghosts and they're yeah. aliens. Okay. Well, this was a good room. Let's, Let's go, go to the, the uh, his mother's room. room. The the what room? Room. Oh yeah, that's where the murder was, right? Uh, yeah. Oh god, Williamsburg. Kids come here. Kids like this. Kids, this I, like, don't, I don't kids. think. So. Why do they make people go to Williamsburg in these? No. Like, this is always what's in the travel guide. Yeah. Why can't they just have good restaurants? That would be more fun than ghosts. Yeah. I guess it have just a got really. Restaurant. Did it just get really cold? Did it did just get really cold. It did. And there's no way there was a draft in here. They it's did not have heating and air. It's yeah. 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 There's no AC. It's an old house. Will you not tell people how freaked out I am by this? Can we make a pact? Sure. Okay. This is to me like being in the trenches and we don't talk about what happens in the trenches. Good. Wow! What was that noise? That's me hating oh. this. Oh, oh God! I thought that was—I thought that was a ghost. I thought that was a ghost. <laughs> it's 
Scene. Great. <laughs> there it is. That was thanks fun. For, yeah, that was fun. Thanks for doing that. Yeah, thanks, man. I'll see you when you're in New York. Rick Andrews is a good man. I really, really enjoyed that chat and had a fun scene at the end. I don't think I've performed with him before. Maybe we were in a, a jam together once. But I really enjoyed that chat. I learned a lot as a performer and as an instructor. I hope you did too. One of the things that I really like is that there are so many different schools of thought. I've had people from UCB in this podcast, and I've had people from Magnet now and other theaters. And there are all these different schools of thought, and they're all legitimate. And it's and it's great, and it's neat. And you can always learn something new. And that's what's so cool about it to me. I was reading up on the game of the scene this week, uh, just going to different blogs, and there was one that I went to on Will Hines' website, or his Tumblr, and he said this really great thing about the idea of game turns improv from jazz explorations into tight pop songs, which is great, and I think a perfect analogy. You can be Dave Brubeck, or you can be the Beatles, and they're both good. So I like that. I like that a lot, and I want to learn how to do both. I think that's neat. I'm a nerd. To find out more about Rick and the Magnet Theater, you can go to magnettheater.com. They're in New York City, so if you're ever up there, go check them out. It is worth it. Very fun shows there. And you can find out more about this podcast and me at thereitispod.com. You can also follow me on Facebook and Twitter at thereitispod. And you can go to thereitispod.com and you can support. That would be very much appreciated just to keep the lights on. I hope you have their-itis. There it is, another episode of There It Is. And in next week's episode, I have somebody else fun. Got a lot of fun people coming up. Can't wait to share it with you. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.